Welcome to the Six Figure Developer Podcast, the podcast where we talk about new and exciting technologies, professional development, clean code, career advancement, and more. I'm John Calloway. I'm Clayton Hunt. And I'm John Ash. With us today is Yuri Strumpfloner. Yuri has been working as a software developer and architect with technologies like Java, .NET, Node.js, mobile, as well as web. Welcome, Yuri. Hey, Welcome. So before we jump into the meaty things, would you give our listeners a little bit more introduction to yourself, you know, perhaps tell them how you got started in the industry? Yeah, sure. Um, so the, the intro was pretty good. Like that, that is what I'm doing right now. Um, so I started back with development quite a long time ago. And right now, currently, basically I started in the backend side of things, right? I, I think where most most folks that are long enough around started developing, right? When backend was was the thing you did and server-side rendered applications. So basically, I was fresh out of university. I did a lot of Java, uh, even Java desktop applications, then kind of trickled into .NET, ASP.NET backends. Uh, and from there, it, it basically grew until like the front-end thing became more and more a proper thing, right? Where the clients ask for much better like usability and all those cool features they've been seeing, like things like Gmail, and that was really like the hot thing in the market, right? Uh, and so we we at a company where I worked back then also kind of started looking more into that area. And so I, I dove in because like I, I like basically UI, good UI experiences. And I was I was actually uh, now that, that I remember I was actually doing uh, like working with uh, GWT like GWT from Google. I really could write Java and it would be transpiled to JavaScript because like, I had no clue about JavaScript at all, but I knew Java, so that was nice because you can run something in a browser it was like mind blowing, right? That has the very like clicky experience, very nice transitions between screens, just as a desktop app. So I always had kind of that interest in the front end space, right? And so when the front applications became a proper thing, I started diving more into that, and that kind of sticked with me. Uh, so I transitioned more and more from like back end development to front end, uh, also doing a lot of teaching on the front end space. And so yeah, right now I'm I'm working at Nowell. And now we are a consultancy, um, mainly focused on the front end. Like we also have some backend projects, but the main focus is definitely on the front end space, um, helping clients basically develop their Angular React applications. Um, we, we mostly work with Fortune 500 companies, so big companies. Um, and the main part, and we are probably going to talk about it uh, today as well as a bit, is we also developed that, an open source tool on the site as part of our company work, which is NX. Uh, which we use in our consulting project space to help companies develop in a more uh, in a better way, basically more productive way. So yeah, that's that's where I'm at. Uh, most recently, I, I switched into the director of developer experience role. So a lot of the folks right now, which I'm having, is is no more so so deep into the consulting business itself, but rather like creating content around the, the thing, like talking about an X, such as like in this show, uh, and a lot of the things around those topics, basically. We had Colin Ferry on on the show a couple of weeks ago talking about micro front ends and module federation and touched on NX a little bit in that conversation. And we thought it would be a good idea to have more of a, a deeper dive episode on NX. So for those that might've missed that particular episode, what, what is NX and what does it allow for developers? 
Yeah, NX is really um, how we describe it, it's like a fast, intelligent build system, a fast, smart build system, uh, which it's, it's kind of your CLI tool, which you can use for not just bootstrapping new applications, but also kind of that, that guides you throughout the development process, right? So Colin probably touched, which is working with us basically, uh, touched probably a lot of the things of how NX can help you along the development cycle with things like generators and stuff, for instance, setting up module federation, micro ends, right? So NX is really in that space. And we are known for monorepos, right? Like that's something which like, we kind of grew out of like an X has been designed from the ground up to support monorepos, which is like one repository, multiple projects in there, sharing code between projects and that area, right? Uh, but it is not only useful for that, uh, as, as you probably discussed in previous episode around microfinance. What, what other things does it allow or, or wh- how does it work in something other than monorepos? And, and, and what capabilities does it uh, add to our generic build pipelines like like Azure pipelines or GitHub actions or something like that. Yeah, so so basically if we're focusing or, or let's start actually with the monorepo scenario because like from that we can build up the things very nicely. So basically from a monorepo perspective, an X kind of covers two aspects, right? So right now if we look at monorepos, uh, what we see um, is like different styles. So there is uh, a tool called Lerna, uh, which, by the way, we as Nawal recently took over stewardship uh, because it just made sense for us, right? So we see a lot of those type of repositories of monorepos where it's a very lightweight setup. Uh, you basically have a couple projects in there which might or might not talk to each other. Uh, and then you have process around it, right? Which is usually like helping you link the projects together. So if I import from within that same repo another project, I want to run it, like I want to reference it in a very straightforward way uh, without having it to publish to some local registry or whatnot, right? So that's the whole point actually to have a monorepo, right? To facilitate that communication and code sharing. So that is one aspect. Uh, and the next is very um, like flexible in that sense. So you can totally use it on those repos. And what an X does in those repos is basically just speed up uh, the execution of projects. Because if, if you have like a monorepo and if you have just a couple libraries or projects in, in it, like running them is pretty straightforward, right? So you, you won't notice a whole lot of problems in that sense, right? Straightforward, fast, and works, right? The problem usually which happens is once you grow that monorepo, it's like you see, okay, this is so useful, right? Teams like it, you start adding and adding and adding projects, right? And at some point you hit a limit where you're like, oh, now it's not so pleasant anymore, right? Like our CI system is super slow. We're actually slowing down again rather than speeding up until as we did so far, right? Um. And so that is when an, where an X fits in. So in those learner style repos, as, as we started kind of calling it, is an X fits in as your task scheduler, right? So whenever you install an X, it understands your project structure, like how your monorepo is structured. It follows like the TypeScript or JavaScript import. So it understands like what are the dependencies between those projects, right? And so based on that, it has some, some graph which it can use for doing a whole set of optimizations, right? You can, first of all, just visualize it, which is super nice because as your one repo grows, you want to at some point like show it, right? And look at it and, and see like, why is that dependency? Like why does project A depend on that other project down there, right? It shouldn't, right? And so you can actually try to debug that visually, interactively, which is pretty neat. Uh, but the main point of that whole graph is most to speed up things, right? Because knowing which project depends on what you have a whole lot of knowledge on restructuring how you schedule the, the actual compilation or task execution of them, right? So if you have like a common project that many depend on, you might prioritize that higher up 
build that first and then leverage that output like in a variety of places, right? So you can actually come up with a whole lot of good parallelization and fast task execution. So that is what NX does. Uh, now, because we mentioned Lerna, that is also one reason uh, why we kind of stepped in with Lerna. We said like, we can already do that now. So adding in an X or helping like having a switch, an easy opt-in for an X is that like the main pain point that we've been hearing about Lerna, which is speed, right? Can be fixed, is easy for us, right? So that's that's what we did. And we just released actually version 5.1 last week. Um, so that has an, a good opt-in for an X as well. A part of obviously a whole other, lot of other features to, to help improve Lerna overall. So it has been kind of like stalled in the last uh, two years. So as someone who's not really familiar with Lerna, what is there a quick way where you can summarize like what the benefits that people are using Lerna for mono repos were? So like what was Lerna providing them? And we understand now that the way you're saying is that at some point you can get it too big that Lerna starts bogging down, but then that's where NX is coming in and kind of giving you this this dependency graph and allowing you to build those things appropriately and, and probably some other things. But like, what was what were they using Lerna for, and and why? Yeah, Lerna was most mostly the if you want like the first monorepo tool for JavaScript specifically, right? Uh, so that's why it's being widely adopted still nowadays. Um, and and so what what people mostly use is like they use it for the linking part, where you have different packages and the node modules would sim link between each other to be able to import them right without publishing. Uh, they use it for running, obviously, stuff, right? For instance, like run me all the tests across all the applications that I have or packages I have in my monorepo, right? This is usually something you do on CI, but sometimes even locally when developing, right? You want to make sure that you didn't break anything, even in other applications. Uh, and the last part is, is publishing, right? So Luna does a pretty good job at publishing. Um, like There's like a built-in mechanism for like incrementing the version numbers. Uh, you can hook in very easily to like generate change logs and stuff. So it has a pretty good way to do that. Uh, but as mentioned before, the, the main pain point was always kind of that, that task execution, right? That is usually where it got kind of messed up at some point where people are kind of str- like suffering the speed issue, especially on CI. Uh, and, and what was also the main issue, which we have been at least hearing from folks is like, that that was a reason to like move away. Like if I am my current monorepo with Lerna, uh, that was the main issue. So they were starting to look at alternatives, right? Uh, and you could always add in an X, right? But the thing is like, you need to change at that point. You had to change the commands a little bit, right? Like use rather than learner run, use an X run. Things that nothing major, but still, like you have to change it here and there. And depending on your custom scripts you might have, might get a bit complicated, right? So with with since we took over stewardship, obviously it allowed us to change the code directly. And so nowadays you can actually just flip a flag basically in the learner JSON, which is use an X true, and then you can keep using uh, your learner commands. They would just delegate to to an X underneath, basically. So what were some of the, uh, just, just because I, I and I'm, I'm maybe some of our listeners don't have the history or understanding of monorepos, you were mentioning that this is one of the types of monorepos that someone might use. What, what are some of the other like formats and stylings that then NX is compatible with? Yeah, 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 exactly. That's a good, that's a good question. So um, the JavaScript space mostly moved with those learner type repositories. So have like every package has their node module folders locally, their package JSON locally. And they would just initially group together based in one repo and then start sharing code between them. Uh, so that is one approach. And, and we started calling them because we, we tried to find a way to distinguish those, right? So we call them like, those are learner-based monorepos, right? Because like they're most commonly. Most commonly JavaScript products are learner-based, right? 
And then there's the, the one that we call Google-based, uh, which is what like an experience by default creates, right? And why Google-based? Well, because like the, the co-founders of Novel are ex-Googlers. And so they were working inside Google and have been seeing like how Google uses the, the money was really at a large scale, probably one of the largest, right? And they have some very, very um, like high quality custom tooling wrapped around those projects. So it's not just like simple tooling. I think they even have a custom Git setup because it's just so big, Git can't handle it anymore. Now, obviously those are massive scales, which we probably won't face anytime, right? In our own projects, but the tooling is very interesting, right? And the, internally it's called Blaze, but it's open source also as Bazel. And, and it has some very good ideas behind it and some good mental models on how to structure those monorepos, right? But the tooling setup is really involved, right? So if, if you want to adopt Bazel, uh, you really need to have a team, basically, that just does that, right? And so for some large companies, it might make totally sense, right? So they opt in and Bazel can hold, like, do a whole lot of different operations at very high speed. Uh, and so when, when the co-founders like Victor Safkin and Jeff Cross uh, joined now or founded now or basically they wanted to keep that idea like that tooling that helps you basically have good quality developer experience but still give you a lot of speed and like ergonomics that you would want to have and they started an x and so an x is kind of a spin-off if you want of the mental model and the ideas that came out of google of such large monorepos but broken down to be easier to use uh, and work very nicely in a nice fashion also for someone that cannot afford to have like a dedicated team just doing that, right? And so the main difference is really like how you approach monorepos. So while, for instance, on a learner style repo setup, as I mentioned, you have like local package JSONs, local node model folders and stuff. The more Google style approach is you have a single version policy, for instance. So you have just one node model folder at the very root. You have basically one React version across all the applications, the packages you use, uh, and this is more involved initially, of course, right? But like we have seen it work very well with large companies because as you upgrade, you you basically have consistency, right? So there's never the weird issue that you import a library in an application that has different React versions. And so you don't, it works in build time, but at runtime, it just breaks for some reason, right? So those type of issues. And and in more more like in general, there's more tooling involved simply on those type of setups. So for instance, when you start an X nowadays, it comes with plugins, right? So there's a wrapper, for instance, around uh, the React Webpack build setup, right? So you don't have you don't ever see the Webpack config as a whole because that is kind of built into that plugin. Uh, and then you just configure that plugin, right? So you, there's a whole set of, of those, pl- those plugins coming from the next team directly or from the community. Uh, and the benefits are simply the, the, the variable ergonomics in the long run but also really cool features such as, for instance, like automated migrations over time, right? Code migrations for upgrading the monorepo and, and things like that. So those are the main difference if you wanted the high level. How do you handle in that situation, um, we're using that Google side, we have a single package uh, dependency across, like upgrading that and then knowing there's some dependency or that or there, you may have just broke one project sort of, you know, that was, that that, that doesn't, handle that that new package that new version uh properly is that like we have to use uh unit tests or something like that to like ensure that we always have that i mean i i could imagine that would be a good way of testing so but there are other tooling that you guys are bringing to the table and and whatnot that that 
give you that. Yeah, that, that is definitely an integrated part of uh, development. Like in general, I would highly suggest like, well, even outside of monorepos, right? But like, especially with monorepos to have a good test coverage, like have tests set up, not as unit tests, but like end-to-end tests and stuff. Simply because like in a monorepo, you have potentially the freedom to make changes that go across different things, right? So because of that sharing, right? Um, you immediately see the impact, which is a positive thing, actually. Because uh, if you imagine, if you build, I don't know, like the authentication library for your corporate environment, right? Uh, what usually happens, you develop that in isolation in a, in like in a poly repo. You have some test coverage around it. Maybe you have some mock servers that kind of simulate what an authentication flow is about, right? But that's mostly it. You version it properly. You have probably a change log, hopefully, right? You publish it local in the internal repository and all other products just update at some point, right? You don't even know when. And they might have like different versions that you need support, right? So the whole point of having a monorepo, the big advantage is that if you change the API, you just do it in a branch within the same monorepo, right? You just do it in a branch, you change the API, you compile it, and you immediately see what breaks. And most of the time, you might even be able to fix it, right? So what usually happens is you fix it directly. There are code owners defined to the various projects so they will jump in and review your PR. But you can basically atomically change it in a single commit and then merge it in back into the main monorepo, right? Uh, so test coverage is, is highly important. Uh, but at the same time, what is like specifically because you mentioned version changes and how that works, um, there's those uh, like automated migrations, which I mentioned before quickly. Like they can help you also go very easily from one version to the next, right? Because of those plugins, uh, the plugin itself knows what the structure of its project is about, right? Because there's no exposed Webpack config. There is an option to like hook into the Webpack config and provide some additional configuration, but you don't have the full control over it, right? And while that is initially feels like kind of you're limited in your flexibility, it gives huge benefits when you need to do things like version upgrades, for instance. So we had, for instance, large repositories where we automatically migrated them from one version of an X to the next, which also upgraded to React 18, which also upgraded to Webpack 5, for instance, from Webpack 4. Uh, and so for companies, this is a huge time saver, right? So while you're a bit limited, obviously, what you can do right now in a specific project, uh, by having those upgrades, especially tooling upgrades, uh, it's very easy to move ahead and like always be up to date with the latest version, get the latest security patches and all that stuff. Uh, because I, was like, I don't know, what you guys have in terms of experience, but like when I was working with companies, when you brought up like, oh, we would need to update Webpack 5 or something like that, <laughs> the thing was, uh, what's that for, right? Uh, does sure, it deliver sure. new features? Yes. No, it really doesn't, but we should because blah, blah, right? Yep, it's yep, really yep. hard to get those through. And then obviously imagine you have like a huge monorepo with like 200 plus developers on top of it and you need to do some some large scale change now of upgrading React versions, for instance, right? So that, that can be very tricky if you don't have the, the tooling around it. Yeah, that, that brings up a good point. So say we're, we're going the route of monorepos, we're, we're going the route of using something like NX to, to help us progress. Not because we heard Google does something similar and we want to be like Google, but because we have good reasons to do so. So how do we get started? And, and what are those best practices uh, for small, medium, large companies, uh, greenfield versus brownfield? How, how do we, like, what is the path to success or what are the pitfalls that we should avoid along the way? Yeah, yeah, that, that's actually when the second point of an X kind of comes in, the, the, the thing about generators, which I mentioned before. So an X kind of helps you, let's start, start with the greenfield approach, right? Where you, you know you have a new project, you want to start with it. Uh, you're not yet sure you want to have a monorepo, but you heard about it, you think it might be a good idea. So you just want to get go, right? 
And so let's say you're developing a React application. Right now, one of the choices you would have is use Create React App, for instance, as a setup, right? But with the Next, you don't need, really have to, because like what you can do there is you can just generate an NX workspace, right? So there's a command which is like npx create dash NX dash workspace, right? You give it a name, like your name of your organization. It would be the name of the folder of the workspace of the monorepo, basically. And then inside that, you have like those plugins, which I mentioned before, which allow you to generate a setup of a React application, right? And so that wouldn't use like Create React, but it would use like the NX specific uh, React plugin setup. And what that does is a couple of things already. Like it sets up like linting for you. It sets up like JS tests for you. It sets up Cypress for you. Uh, TypeScript com- like compilation and, and things. And obviously the, the final bundling and compilation with Webpack, right? So you already have a setup similar to what you would get like with Create React App, right? So you, you, you basically can get going immediately without having to worry too much about the tooling, right? And so that, that's what I meant initially, like NX helps you set it up initially in terms of generating the stuff, but also now as you continue developing, because you can continuously rely on those generators, right? You can generate new components, lazy loaded routes. Like there's a lot of facilities around that kind of grew in the time and also grew most of the time out of like our own experience, right? So we were consulting for a company, they develop React applications, maybe a couple of them, they want to link them together. Like take the example, for instance, for, for module federation and the, the microphone setup that Colm talked about, right? Those usually emerge out of our own experience working with companies and we want to make it easier for ourselves, but also then obviously for a community. So we enhance those plugins and so over time they can really be beneficial, right? So for Greenfield projects, I would really go that route because it guides you a lot throughout this process, right? Adding libraries, new applications at some point. So initially you might even start like just with that one app because that's that's how you are accustomed to work, right? But at some point you see like, well, might make sense to not have uh, like in that app a whole lot of folders, but rather like split those features out into just local libraries, right? They don't need to even be shareable, but it'd be not just local libraries for that application. The thing is, like, once you start building such a library, it is a totally different notion of, like, like creating a sort of an API to which, like, the application connects, right? So it has usually much better boundaries, like, what should be public, what is local to the library, right? And continue that way, basically, of developing. Uh, and so that is for Greenfield projects, that is an ideal way. For existing projects, like, either you have a monorepo, but well, in that case, I would go more kind of the learner route where you can still basically, if you have learner, obviously that's the immediate choice because it's so easy to just opt in and that's it, right? You go from there. Or you just like have a more learner style approach where like you have those single packages in there, you add an X just for the task scheduling and then over time, slowly you add the plugins, right? And you convert to those plugins as it makes sense for you. And so that is more the, the slow, like incremental adoption path because obviously like we all know now, we like we would want to start with like greenfield projects, but most of the time we have existing projects, right? Uh, or even existing monorepos. So there is both ways. There's the incremental path of of starting as well as like the full uh, plugin supported path. So um, you you mentioned sort of like code owners. Uh, we've talked about potentially breaking changes and those sort of things. Like how how do you how does this handle team like different teams and um, like finding those right divisions where people know their their place and their space. It usually works pretty well. Like the only thing that is hard to implement is read access, right? 
But then probably a monorepo is not the right way to go, right? But if, in terms of write access, what we usually do when we work with companies is we set, set up like those code ownership files, right? So every team kind of owns a certain like subfolder set. And that's also why like splitting up into libraries has like, is another advantage, right? Not just from, for building a clean API, but like you can nest them as you want, right? So you have basically, I don't know, your products catalog page, right? Or car- product catalog section of the application, which you could even like deploy independently, right? If you wanted. And so then you have usually in your libraries or packages folder, you have something like product catalog. And below that, you have a whole bunch of different libraries, right? And so you can go as fine-grained as you want, right? You could say like at the product catalog folder level, that's the code ownership where we put a file. And so all the PRs that go into that would be need to be reviewed by a couple of people that own that project, right? Or you could even go deeper and like have single individual products within the product catalog. Like that really depends on how your team is structured and how usually the culture within the team is like in terms of migrating emerging PRs, right? But it works out pretty well because... Um, most of the time, to be honest, like changes only happen locally within those, right? So the same team, basically, it's not that you jump around like mad between projects, right? And change a whole lot of things throughout the monorepo. Uh, that's more if you work on some of those shared libraries, because there's project specific libraries, right? Which is just meant like for the product catalog and for the shopping cart, whatnot, right? And then there's usually a shared part that is more like the generalizable libraries like logging or authentication or like even maybe the corporate design system a kind of set of, of components, right, which you use. So those are more involved, like they are obviously used and, and shared across different projects. And there it might happen more often, right? If you do changes that they affect a lot of the folks, right? And so you need to go through multiple people for reviewing because like they are, are from different teams. But most of the time, especially if you develop features, um, they are happening within the same a like subset of libraries, right, which belong to your team. Uh, so that works pretty well. Okay. Uh, and then we, we've mentioned, uh, so A, we've talked a lot about the tooling and the plugins that NX is bringing uh, to sort of, you know, uh, assist in this. And, and we've mentioned things like unit test coverage uh, as a great discipline that really is strongly encouraged. Are there any other disciplines or what, what would those disciplines be that you would say, hey, these are the things that teams really need to focus on? communication or you know what 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 might those things be yeah i think like the, the tooling support uh, needs to, to go to a certain level right and for instance the one thing uh, that also comes to my mind is like an additional thing on top of it is if you have those different libraries right like for the product catalog or shopping cart and shared libraries and stuff what you also want to usually do is you don't want to have people like cross import like wild right so some someone from some deeper level of the product libraries, right, product catalog libraries, import something from a different shopping cart library, right? So usually you want to kind of control those, right? And in the next, for instance, we have a mechanism that's called module boundary rules, which allow you to really like, as sort of like string tags, if you want, you can attach them to the various libraries. And then at the higher level, say in the form of a link rule, okay, like this tag can just import from those tags, right? And so you can really build up a nice system where you say like, okay, all apps can import from shared because like that makes sense, right? But like product libs can only import from other product libs, right? It cannot import from cart libs. Apart from you might have like some API level libraries within those regions, those domain regions, where you can say, oh, they can also import from something that's called type colon API, right? You can really name them as you want. But that system is super helpful because that allows you to kind of safeguard at least some of the things, right? So even if you have like new developers coming in, they're not yet familiar with the monorepo, right? Those things can help a lot. And also like just to avoid, because Visual Studio Code, for instance, 
sometimes like you just import something it's called same name right but it's from a different player you will auto import and you go you don't even recognize it right and so with those systems in place like your ci would, would start yelling at you and say like oh linting failed for modern boundaries because you imported from this to this library which is not allowed right uh, so those tools are very helpful uh, apart from that i think like the the main disciplines that people really need to look into, but in general, like if they look at your monitoring repos, is uh, some good Git practices, right? So if you just go with, uh, like usually the, the flow is like go in a PR and then merge that back into the main branch, right? Uh, so nothing can really go massively wrong, uh, but it's always good to have good Git practice, especially because that would be a large, one of the larger type of Git repos probably you're working on at that point, right? So things like rebasing, like good Git hygiene, if you want, right, in terms of the history is always helpful, especially if you later on need to debug, right? Because you need to filter out like your comments from other comments and, and things like that. So that is something which, which I found is always useful to kind of teach people or, or like make people aware of that when they work in a monorepo. And it looks like NX has support for many front-end and back-end technologies. It looks like listed here are TypeScript, React, Angular, Node, and more. Of course, there are community plugins as well that, that increase that list astronomically. So what are the technologies involved and what's supported? And, and where, where and when do you pick up NX to help you along the way? Yeah, that's a good question. So we, like, if you want, like, natively supported from the next team, it's usually something that we also have to deal with when we work with clients, right? So the most common things right now are for support for Angular, uh, because like, the project kind of emerged out of Angular. Then there's React, of course, and the variations of React, like Next.js. There's also a Remix plugin right now, which is still in labs, but we probably promote it soon to being a native one. Uh, what else? Like we have Node support for the backend, like Node Express kind of APIs, Nest.js, and there are a couple around those. And obviously, plain JavaScript TypeScript libraries, just because it's so common use, and because like many of the the plugins, like the Java, the, the React one, underneath use that other plugin to compile stuff with TypeScript, right? So it just makes sense. Um, but yeah, the extensibility is a big point there. Uh, so uh, as you mentioned, like there's the community page where like external community contributors can create their own plugins, uh, which is actually th- something that happens quite a lot. Uh, they don't even necessarily have to be published. So there is an actual like extension API to NX where you can write your own plugins, your own generators and stuff. So you can really also, and a lot of companies do that, customize experience to your own company culture. Because maybe you set up the React libraries in a certain manner, right? Like you maybe need to always include certain files or I don't know, like a different style of the component generator. So you really can kind of fine tune it to you, to your own needs. And, and therefore, once you have that a bit like set up, you get really, really productive, right? Uh, and obviously then having all the community contributors, we have also, I think, plugin for Vite, uh, ESBuild, uh, Vue.js development in general. I think there's also some Svelte kit. Uh, and what, what is there also like is a .NET plugin, which is a pretty good one. So also for backend technologies, there's a .NET Core plugin that allows you to develop APIs like in, and even general like applications with with .NET. So uh, and it's it's pretty quickly growing as well. So it's nice to see evolve. Being mostly .NET backend development focused these days, that that one was one that caught my eye as well. Is, would it be relatively easy to get started with that? And would you recommend that your .NET projects be grouped in with front-end projects in, in a monorepo as well, depending on usability and, and use case? Yeah, totally. I mean, like um, the .NET plugin is pretty well maintained. It's like the, con- the main contributor and creator of that now works also for Nowell. 
So I know he's like super expert in that field and like uh, dedicates a lot of time like to actually bring that up to the latest um, like quality standards if you want. So I'm pretty confident to su- suggest that one. I've not worked yet with a like .NET backend in a monorepo with frontend code mixed up, uh, but it makes sense. We what we see a lot is like uh, JavaScript backends with frontend code, uh, simply because. Uh, like in the, many of the modern architectures, like if you talk like about microservices also in the backend, right? There's often the, the backend for frontend kind of pattern that is being applied, right? And so ha- that is made for the frontend, right? So having that also co-located very closely to where the frontend lives just gives benefits. Because like you can share code, you can especially share like API DTO objects and stuff and make sure the API is in sync with what the frontend uses. So there's some very interesting patterns that you can actually apply across those lines. Uh, and I've seen that doing with the, the .NET one as well. I've not worked personally on one of those, but I've heard like uh, Gregory, which is the main maintainer, talk about it, uh, how those are combined in some very interesting ways, also with front-end code. So so what else? What might we have missed or, or glossed over or not spent enough time on that you want our listeners to be sure to be aware of or find out more about or, or go and research on their own? Yeah, I think like one thing that we didn't touch too much on it is like the whole uh, like speed aspect on CI. Because obviously like uh, many developers right but also like devops people specifically are kind of scared from mono repos right and also like fully understandable right, to some degree right because if you have one app in a repo building that is pretty easy right you just need to figure out how to build a single app if you have multiple applications you have to have some good strategy to make sure you, you ci doesn't crash right at some point because it takes so long that like the productivity goes down to zero, right? And this happens, right? Like if uh, like your CI, you, you basically if you touch a couple of libraries that you build like the whole monorepo at some point, uh, or even just naively just always build the whole monorepo, that works till some set of libraries, right? But at some point it just gets too much. And so we have been focusing a lot on the speed aspect of an X, just developing locally, uh, but also like on CI. Uh, and the main thing there is is the caching aspect to the whole story, right? Uh, caching means that an X right now, even locally by default, whenever you execute something, it, it understands which inputs come to build that single output. And if you run it as part of some other bigger run, right, again, it knows this has already been built, inputs didn't change, the, the other conditions didn't change, so there's no point to actually run the computation, so it just restores the output which means restoring like potential built artifacts that got generated as well as like the console output. And so obviously in CI, this is super helpful, right? Because not only NX kind of cuts out what needs to be built by the, the graph that we mentioned, right? So it understands if you didn't change the library down there, or oh, I need to build up all the libraries that depend on it, right? Plus it adds the cache on top. Uh, and something which we quite work quite a lot on uh, is the whole also distributed task execution. So it's not just caching, but like with a very simple setup on CI, which by the way, you can also generate. Uh, so you can generate some scaffold out and then kind of fine tune it to your needs. And actually is able to distribute the execution of different tasks across agents, right? So at some point, uh, if you build a monorepo on CI, you need to parallelize stuff, right? So you need to spin up agents and distribute tasks. Uh, and obviously naively what you do is you just like split them up in equal badges, give them to each agent, and that's it, right? And so you hope for the best. But the problem is like as projects change, what might happen is like, well, agent three, which always gets those five projects, is basically idle the whole time, but, but still has to wait until all the other agents complete, right? So it's suboptimal, right? It helps a bit, but like at some point it's again suboptimal. And so with the whole DTE, the distributed task execution, what we do is we take into account historical data 
but also knowing how the products relate. We distribute them differently among the agents depending on what you build, right? Always with the main target to utilize the most the different agents, such that like no one is kind of waiting idle, right? And we have applied that to some really, really huge monorepos for some of our clients, and it saves a tremendous amount of time. Uh, it's, it's incredible how much you save. Like you save a couple of months within uh, like a single week of computation time just by actually delegating to the caching and the distributed task execution, uh, which is pretty neat. So that is definitely something which I would take into account, especially if you have, or if you know your use case will be bigger, right? It's not just like a small monorepo, maybe a couple of open source projects. Obviously in that case, it doesn't matter that much, but for a bigger project, definitely. Uh, so yeah. And if you... Um, and think about that. Like, if you have an open source project that uses an X or Learner now with an X, uh, definitely reach out because, like, we give that for f- like we give the remote caching for free to all open source projects as well as the distributed task execution uh, as a kind of like because we like open source, so that that's kind of our contribution back into the open source community. So you can try it out and mess around with it. Very cool. Um, so, what what resources would you point our listeners to who are maybe now looking to get started? With monorepos, uh, NX, uh, and and whatnot, Lerna possibly. Yeah. So for NX, uh, NX.dev is our main website. Uh, there's also the docs on there, and you find most of the links there. And at the bottom of that is also our YouTube channel. Uh, a link to that one. We quite quite regularly publish new videos around like newest features that got released or some techniques of optimiz- optimizing NX, even all about like monorepos in general. Uh, there's the NX DevTools Twitter account. That's also the best way to keep up to date with the latest announcements. Um, and for Lerna, we actually just also released a new website. So on lerna.js.org, we redesigned the whole website, new guides, and especially they're also talking about how things integrate and why you might want to use Lerna versus NX and vice versa. And so some of covered some of those use cases. So definitely check that out. What has been helpful in your career that you might share with those just getting started or those looking to level up their own careers? That's a good question. I think like for me, um, the main thing was uh, like going out there, looking for like making connections, talk to people. Uh, and, and main part for me personally, that was also like by having my own blog and my own website. Um, simply because like that kind of helps going that mind shift mindset of like teaching better understanding, like digging deeper on some of the aspects, right? So I would highly recommend every engineer have your blog. Now it's even nowadays super easy to set up, right? Like if you prefer like me to to fiddle around with it, then have your own domain, have your own personalized setup, right? You know, over-engineer it like to your own like desire. Um, But like nowadays you have like things like Hashnode or you have like dev.to where it's super easy to set up your personal page. Uh, Also very much easier to get some initial following, which is very nice. Uh, but for me, that was like probably the, the biggest game changer because you, you get exposed to a lot of folks, right? For me, a lot of things have started from there, right? Like initially you're reading on your own, mostly probably, uh, even that is super helpful, right? Because you need to break down some ideas and go deeper into some of the topics. But then from there, like people started reading more, uh, started to get exposed more, like got like into Egghead, got into speaking at conference. Like a lot of the things start for, for me, started there basically. So yeah, that if, if I have to like, Pick one, that would probably be the, the biggest one. Start your own blog, start writing. Doesn't need to be perfect. <laughs> well, awesome. Uh, so speaking of blogs, uh, where can our listeners go to follow you and keep up with what you're working on? Yeah, yuri.dev is, is where my site is currently hosted. And so the main links to socials and stuff is there. Um, I also tweet a lot on, on Yuri SDR. 
Um, so you can follow up there. Uh, but yeah, probably like your.dev, the website is the main point of entry. And from there, you should find most of the stuff that I'm currently dealing with. Well, Yuri, thanks so much for joining us this evening. It's been great catching up and learning all about NX and uh, look forward to hearing more from you in the future. Yeah, thanks for having me. That was Yuri Strumpfloner. Yuri has been working as a software developer and architect for 10 plus years with technologies like Java, .NET, Node.js on desktop, mobile, as well as web. Lately, he has been focusing on the front-end web development with JavaScript, writing technical articles, and teaching. If you like this episode, please like, rate, and review on iTunes. Find show notes, blog posts, and more at sixfiguredev.com. And catch us live each week on Twitch. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at SixFigureDev. This has been another episode of the Six Figure Developer Podcast, helping others reach their potential. I'm John Calloway. I'm Clayton Hunt. And I'm John Ash. Thank <laughs> you.